we're continuing this morning with our series in Jeremiah, Gospel Gems or Jewels, in this broken book composed by a broken man. And we're not going through the whole of the prophecy, we're just picking out uh, little uh, nuggets of gold, if you want another metaphor, uh, that uh, give us uh, the message of the good news that is in Jesus Christ. And this morning, in chapter 29, I want to give you this, verse 11, chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the thoughts, or a better translation, the plans that I think or have towards you, says the Lord. Plans of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your hearts. God's plan for you and for me. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Robert Burns, the Scottish poet, wrote these words. The best laid schemes of mice and men go oft or array and leave us nothing but grief and pain for promised joy. The people that Jeremiah was addressing here, they were in Babylon. They were taken captive there. And they wanted to know why has God allowed this to happen to us? And what Jeremiah is led to do here by the spirits, and Jeremiah is still back in Jerusalem, he is led to write a letter to these captives and to tell them, God has a plan. It may not seem like it, but God is in control. And he knows what he's doing. So this isn't just Jeremiah's personal letter to the people in Babylon. It's God's own letter. It's a letter of love. And this is the gospel for you and for me this morning. What we have here in the Bible is God's love letter to people like you and me. We may not be in Babylon, but I'm sure uh, many here this morning, after a difficult uh, year with lockdown, and you may even have suffered from the effects of COVID yourself, or have lost loved ones, or there may be other things as well that are casting you down, and like the people in Babylon, you're just asking the same question, where is God? What is God's plan in all of this? So let's look at this letter. And I just want to mention two things about the plan of God. The plan that he has for you and for me. The first is this. God knows what he's doing. God's plans are known plans. Now, what does that mean? 
when we plan, <laughs> think of our governments uh, planning uh, lockdowns. There's always the need for a plan B, isn't there? There's talk now of a plan B if we have to have another lockdown. That's because we don't know everything. Our minds are dim. We can't see the future. But God knows. God doesn't have to have a plan B. When God plans something, everything is seen right at the outset. He sees the end from the beginning. Uh, I'm short-sighted. So if I was to see uh, the clock there with clarity, I'd have to wear my glasses. We're short-sighted when it comes to understanding the future. None of us, none of us can see clearly. But God sees. There's a verse in Deuteronomy which says, The secret things belong to the Lord. But the things which are revealed belong to us. So if there's anybody come here this morning who is wondering, can uh, Christianity give me the answer to this and to this and to this? Uh, Pastor, why is God allowing this specific situation to happen to me? A tragedy or a problem? I have to say, I don't know. I don't know. The secret things belong to God. Only God knows. But I want to talk about something in God's plan that I do know. The things that are revealed. What's that? The things that we have in this book. This love letter. I don't know what the future holds. For you, for me, for our country, I don't know. God does, but there are certain things I do know, and this is why I'm standing in this pulpit this morning. What, what, what is uh, the, the plan that God has, that God has for you and for me? Look at the promise again, and look at one word that's repeated. I will visit you and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the plan that I have towards you, says the Lord. Plans of peace and not of evil. And then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. Verse 14, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations. Isn't that wonderful? We make our plans. Man proposes, as the saying goes, but God disposes. I, says God. I have a plan and a purpose for you as individuals. I have a plan and a purpose for this world. Now, what is it? 
Uh, I know uh, this might be a bit complicated, especially if you're not familiar with the Old Testament. But what God is talking about here is deliverance. So here are the people in captivity in Babylon. And God is saying to them, I'm going to bring you out of Babylon and cause you to return to Jerusalem. That's God's plan. Uh, if you like opera, let me use this illustration. Do, do you like opera? In an opera, you've got a leaf motif. What's that? It's a musical theme. And that musical theme is seen throughout the opera. It's repeated again and again throughout the opera. And the leaf motif of the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, is deliverance. Here are people captive. It was deliverance from Egypt in the book of Exodus. It's now deliverance from Babylon, the leaf motif. And the leaf motif doesn't stop when you come to the end of the Old Testament. It carries on into the New Testament because the Exodus and the deliverance from Babylon were just uh, rehearsals, as it were, for a greater deliverance. Deliverance from captivity, not to a nation, but to sin. This horrible spiritual power that none of us can withstand. That's God's plan for you and for me. Whatever else may be happening in your life, God's plan is for your spiritual deliverance. Isn't that wonderful? O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's not quite Advent. I think it's next Sunday. And ransom captive Israel who mourns in lonely exile here. Are you aware this morning of your captivity to sin? You may have tried to deliver yourself and you can't do it. The more you try, the harder and the worse it gets. God says, you can't, but I can. And I have a plan. I have a plan. So what happens when you become a Christian? Well, you simply start saying... Lord, it's not my thoughts about how I can deliver myself that matters. It's your plan, your plan. And as we started our service this morning, God's thoughts when it comes to deliverance are way above our thoughts. We've got our little uh, plan, haven't we? I had my plan uh, before God met with me and saved me. My plan was a concoction, as we all have concoctions of different things. Uh, the best uh, laid schemes, as it were, of salvation. So I thought that if I had a bit of religion, I uh, would read my little New Testament. I would say my prayers. I would attend chapel every Sunday morning. So there was that. And then a little bit of good works as well. You see, that religion wasn't enough. I needed a bit of good works. And then, 
maybe, touch wood, I might be accepted when I die and go to heaven. That was my plan. And what God did to me was shatter that, the illusion of that. And he revealed the plan that he has in his word. Salvation is of the Lord. I, I, I will save. God's plans, thoughts in this regard are higher than ours. Who would have thought, who would have thought that it was in utter weakness that God's deliverance would come? As we'll be remembering shortly, who would have thought that it was a baby born, not in the palace, but in a stinking stable that would be the deliverer? Who would have thought that it was that baby growing up in the sticks in Galilee, in Nazareth, that would be living the perfect life in our place in order that we might be accepted of God? And who would have thought, as we'll be remembering in the communion, that it was when the Lord Jesus Christ, in his early 30s, hung on a cross, his life seemingly having come to an end, who would have thought that when the devil foolishly thought that he had had the victory, that it was then that God delivered us from our sins? Because then Jesus took your sins and mine upon himself. Who would have thought, who would have thought that it's not by our works, it's not by our striving, it's not by our plans, but by what Christ has done that we are saved. Who would have thought? So God's plans are known plans. Let let me just apply it in this way, because in Jeremiah's situation, there were two extremes. There were two extremes. There were people who would say, well, if that's the case, we just stay in Jerusalem. We don't have to do anything. And Jeremiah says, you can't do that. If you stay in the city, you will be destroyed. So passivity is not the reaction that we should have to this. Uh, What's being passive? It's saying, say... Uh, I can't do the French. Whatever will be, will be. (laughs) If God has his plans, I don't have to do anything. If God saves, I don't have to do anything. But that's not what God wants you to do. That's one extreme. But the other extreme is the people who went to Babylon and God told his people, you must leave Jerusalem. You must go to Babylon. You must settle down in Babylon. You must build houses there. You must marry there. You must have children there you must pray for the welfare of the city there but there were people who were then in Babylon God's people and they thought we can't stay here we've got got to deliver ourselves we've got to go back to Jerusalem and that was another extreme they were taking things into their own hands instead of trusting God's plan God said I will leave you in Babylon for 70 years. But instead of trusting in God's word, they took matters into their own hands. So what do we do? What do we do? What we do is this. 
we bow down before God and say, Lord, you know. I can't dictate to you, Lord, how you should save me. I can't dictate to you how you should lead me after that. Lord, you know, in humility of mind, you commit yourself. You commit your salvation. You commit your very soul to God. It's not being passive, and it's not taking things into your own hands. It's casting yourself on the Lord. Can you do that? I was listening to the radio the other day, and uh, this program was talking about um, uh, trust meetings. And what you had to do to gain people's trust was ask a person to stand behind you, right? And then you would fall back. Now, that's something you have to trust a person to do. If you really trust the person... You, you will fall back, won't you? But you better trust the person to do what he has to do to hold you. William Carey, the missionary, his favourite hymn had these lines in it. A guilty, weak, and helpless wretch, into thy kind arms I fall. Can you do that, my friend? Can you trust Jesus Christ to save you? Can you trust with all your weights, with all your sin, with all your burdens, can you trust him? Not just to save you, but to keep you and to bring you to heaven. So this is the first point. God's plans are known plans. They are known to God. The secret things belongs to the Lord. But he's revealed certain things to us. His plan of deliverance from sin in Jesus Christ. And this is what the Bible is all about. This love letter. Oh, don't you love uh, to read the word and to find Jesus Christ even in the Old Testament. Can you say, not just of God's mysterious ways, but of his salvation, because Christ holds the keys of salvation, as I said to the children. God holds the key of all the known, and I am glad. Aren't you glad this morning that Jesus Christ is the key holder, that all power and authority in heaven and on earth is in his hands? Aren't you glad this morning that he hasn't asked you to open the door of heaven. If other hands should hold the key, or if he trusted it to me, I might be sad. And the saddest people are those who are trying to save themselves because there's always an uncertainty. But how glad and how free we are in our souls when we realize it's Christ. And if he fails, I fail but if he succeeds, then I am in. God's plans are known plans. Whatever your situation this morning, you can say, you know, Lord, you know. And when it comes to the most important question of all, your deliverance, not just your body, but your soul, being delivered from sin, you know. 
you know. I know some of you are struggling with a lack of assurance. Just say to the Lord, Lord, you know, you know. Lord, I do believe. Help mine unbelief. Lord, if I perish, I will perish here at your feet. So secondly, God's plans are not just known. They are good. They are good. For I know the plans that I have towards you, says the Lord. Plans of peace and not of evil. They're good plans. Now then, you will say to me, but pastor, how can they be good plans for the people who are in captivity? (laughs) They were going through a horrible time, and they were going to go through it for 70 years. How can that be good? Hang on. Sometimes it's necessary for us to go through something horrible for our ultimate good. Don't you agree? Uh, So if, for example, you have to lose weight and you have to go on a certain diet, uh, you can't enjoy some of the foods you normally enjoy. But you know that you're going to go through with it because you are looking at the bigger picture. My friends, this life isn't all that there is. One hymnist talks about this life as the fever of this life. It's just a short, uncertain life. Your body isn't all that you've got. A lot of our problems come to us because we're in the body. We have aches and pains and chronic conditions, the sorrows of the mind. But my friend, your body isn't all that you are. There is an unseen world. There is an unseen part to us. That's called the soul. There is an unseen world. We are looking at what can be seen here this morning. But the things which are seen are temporal, Paul said to the Corinthians. It is the things that are unseen that are eternal. My soul is not going to die. My body is, but my soul is going to go on forever. And this world is going to be done one day. When this passing world is done, your problems are going to be over one day. But there is a world that's going to last forever. And that's the big picture. That's what the people in Jeremiah's day had to realize. And that's what we've got to see. These 70 years, isn't it interesting that 70 years in Babylon, 70 years is the life of a person in the Bible. It's a lifespan. I know some then are living on borrowed time. (laughs) It's sobering, isn't it? It's sobering. And what God is saying to us this morning is this world isn't all that there is. Yes, you may be going through difficulties, but there's something more important. A Christian couple, they went to live in a new flat somewhere, and they wanted to witness to their neighbors about Jesus Christ and the hope that they had in him. And so they prayed that the Lord would give them an opportunity to witness And they were probably thinking that something would happen to one of their neighbors and they would be enabled to show the kindness of Christ to them. But it didn't happen in that way. Instead, they went through sorrow. 
And all they could do was do what the people in Babylon did. They just cast themselves on the Lord. And their neighbors saw something in them that they didn't have. And they started asking them questions. Tell us, what is this peace that you know? What is this hope that you've got? You see, the temporal problem that they were going through was used of God to bring something eternal, something of much greater value about. Can I say this without being misunderstood? Whatever you're going through, if you are saved, does it matter in the ultimate sense? Does it matter? If we can say that it is well with my soul, that I've been delivered from sin's foul bondage, even though now I might be in darkness and I don't know what the future holds in this world, I can say because of what Christ has done, because of the work of God's grace in me, I have a future. I know where I'm going. It's been a few years now since... I was able to visit India, and one of the highlights of our India trip was the train journey, the train journey. And we had some really interesting train journeys. It was usually an overnight journey, and you'd have this small space in the carriage uh, to fit yourself and all your belongings for uh, a journey of several hours and it could be very uncomfortable and if there was no air conditioning it could be extremely uncomfortable but you know what we would bear it because of the end there was a destination however uncomfortable the journey may be there's a destination however uncomfortable this world may be it's not the end we're going somewhere now, this is what the people in Jeremiah's day had. They had a hope. Yes, even when things were uncertain in this life, in Babylon, that was not the end of the story. They were going home. And if you are in Jesus Christ this morning, if you are no longer submitting to your own plans, but if you've turned in repentance and faith to Christ, then this world is not your home. And whatever this life may throw at you, listen, my friend, you're just traveling through and you're going home. You're going home to somewhere even better than Jerusalem. You're going home to the heavenly Jerusalem. You're going home to a place where there is no more suffering, where there is no more sin, where God will wipe every tear from your eye, where there will be no more separations, where there will be bliss forever and ever. Are you going to be there? Alan Best is there. Elvert Davis is there. Elton is there. Are you going to see them? Only if you're in Christ. Only if you 
Give up on your plans, your plan of salvation, your plan for this life. And cast yourself completely on God's plan. It's a good plan. It's a good plan. It's a plan of peace. It's a plan of peace. Here's a quotation. I don't know where I got it from, but I found it helpful. This is what somebody said, an anonymous somebody, that is. His plans concerning his people are always thoughts of good, of blessing. Even if he is obliged to use the rod, it is the rod not of wrath, but the Father's rod of chastisement. For our temporal and eternal welfare, there is not a single drop of evil in God's cup for his people. There is not a single item of evil in God's plan for his people. We tend to think, don't we, even those of us who have come to know Jesus Christ, we tend to still think he's got something against me. Do you think of God like that? Even though you are in Christ and there is no more condemnation to them that are in Christ, there's a little voice in your head which says, ah, yes, but there must be something. And God is having a go at you. God is having a go at you. Maybe when you read a quote like that about the father's rod of chastisement, maybe you had fathers that were cruel and abusive and you are projecting that to your heavenly father. But let me tell you, God isn't like that. God's plan has not a single grain of evil. Not a single grain. Do you know why? Whatever bitter cup you may have to drink... And if you are a Christian, your life will be full of experiences where you do have to drink bitter, bitter dregs. There's no evil in it. Do you know why? Because Jesus Christ on the cross took the cup of wrath. Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet, but Jesus Christ is the greater than Jeremiah. Jesus Christ on the cross took the righteous anger of God. That's why there is no more condemnation for whoever is in Christ. <laughs> uh, there's a hymn, it's in our supplements, and it says this, death and the curse. May this prepare us as we come to the table. Death and the curse were in our cup. Oh, Christ, it was full for thee. Thou hast drained the last dark drop. Tis empty now for me, praise God. That bitter cup, love drank it up. Now blessings draft to me. And then another metaphor, Jehovah God lifted up his rod. O Christ, it fell on thee. Thou was sore stricken of thy God. There's not one stroke for me. There's not one stroke for me. Even the rod and the staff that the good shepherd are using towards me, towards you, 
They're not out of anger. They're in order to bring us closer to himself. Let let me come to a conclusion. I want everyone here to be in Christ. What does that mean? It means that you're no longer seeking that righteousness which is of your own. You give up on that, your own plans, your own salvation, and you just flee to Christ. There's a promise here for you. I will be found by you, says the Lord. How? You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your hearts. Do you really want to be delivered from sin? Then seek him. Be serious. Do you really want to know that you have a hope of heaven? Then seek him for it. Don't give up until you know. Uh, There was... um, uh, a walk yesterday I wasn't on the walk and I was sent a photo of I think the Moravian church in Brockwear near Tinton I think I've got that right and on some of the pews in this church they said uh, I will be found of you says the Lord um, seek me and find me and then it had that verse on a pew and it said but not here <laughs> not on this pew because of COVID restrictions. (laughs) Listen, my friend, God says to you, whatever pew you're sitting on this morning, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me in Christ, you will find me. There isn't a knot here when it comes to God. There are no uh, red and white uh, barriers when it comes to seeking God. You can seek Jesus Christ, where you are, in your failure, in your weakness, why don't you start turning to him and calling on him? I've made a good friend in the last few months. It's a cat. And whenever I go round to the home of this cat, she just wants attention. Right? She wants attention. So it's not just a matter of coming up and meowing, but she, she's got to jump. She's got to jump up. And if I don't let her jump on my knees, she'll jump on the table. She'll jump on the table. It doesn't matter if we're trying to eat. She'll jump on the table, and then she'll come really close up to you, and she'll start... Uh, you know, you know what cats do. They, they like rubbing their uh, faces. And if they come on your knees, they like doing that, don't they? This cat won't take no for an answer. I, I can't stop her. Now, that's an importunate cat for you. And God says, are you importunate like that cat in seeking me? God's plans. Oh, is there anybody here this morning who has a nagging fear that somehow God is against you? My friend, he is against you if you're 
outside of Christ because his wrath, his righteous, pure anger is still on you. But God doesn't want you to stay there. God is inviting you, he's inviting me to come, to come and seek him in Jesus Christ. That's God's desire. God's desire is not that you perish. God does not seek the death of the wicked even. Uh, I think it is in Jeremiah, judgment is described as God's strange work. God's heart is that you are delivered. Come to him, come to him. Come, seek him, seek him. And know these known plans that God has in store for you. Doesn't matter how dark it'll get. And these good, good plans that are for your eternal welfare. May God bless every one of us in our circumstances. And may we be able to say, Jesus doeth all things well for his name's sake.